Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Janice Tunnell, for today, Sunday, February 10th. Um, welcome to Beauty Talk. Tonight we have, um, of course, Beauty Talk, but also some of the hot um, um, topics in beauty uh, for this week. And if you would like to join the conversation um, or if you have a question or comment, you can give us a call at 914-803-4399. Again, that number is 914 4399. Uh, we are very aware um, that the Grammy Awards are on tonight. So for those of you who are listening via the playback, thank you for tuning in. But we say thank you to all of our live listeners around the world. <clears throat> thank you guys um, for repeatedly joining us each and every uh, Sunday night. Um, I'm going to turn it over to Denise briefly before I have some um, anniversary words to share. Good evening, everyone, and thanks again for uh, joining us tonight. Uh, welcome again to the show. Uh, brief, excuse me, briefly, just wanted to recap um, the BAFTA Awards, um, and those are uh, British awards uh, for acting and, and for uh, filmmaking. And I wanted to definitely highlight the Hair and Makeup Award, but I just wanted to uh, briefly go over a couple of the other awards for actor and actress and uh, costume design and things like that. Okay. So for best film, we have The Favorite. All right. That was directed by Bradley Cooper. Uh, For uh, cinematography, we have Roma. Alfonso Cuaron was the winner. For editing, uh, Vice. Hank Corwin was the winner. For production design, the favorite, again, uh, Fiona Crombie and Alice Felton were the winners for that award for production design. For costume design, again, the favorite, Sandy Powell was the winner uh, for the favorite. For makeup and hair, again, the favorite, <laughs> taking home all of the awards. Um, Nadia Stacy was the winner for makeup and hair uh, BAFTA award. Okay, for, uh, let's see, special visual effects, uh, Black Panther, Jeffrey Bauman, Jesse James Chisholm, Craig Hammock, and Dan Sudik were the winners uh, of the special visual effects BAFTA Award. Uh, Let's see, 
animated film, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Bob Persichetti, uh, Peter Ramsey, Rodney Rotham, and Phil Lord were the winners of that award. Okay, and then for the British short animation, we had Rough House, uh, Jonathan Hodgson, Richard Van Den Boom was the winner for that. The British short film, uh, 73 Cows, was the winner with Alex Lockwood. And then for uh, the EE Rising Star Award, which is voted by the public, goes to Letitia Wright. And she is the BAFTA winner of the EE Rising Star Award. So congratulations to all of the winners, those we listed and those we didn't. Uh, congratulations goes out to all the winners for uh, 2019 BAFTA Awards. Nice. <clears throat> and and nice. also, let me let me just throw this let me throw this one in. I forgot about this one um, for best. Uh, supporting actor uh, Mahershala Ali gets the Basket Award for supporting actor for The Green Book. And then for actor for Bohemian Rhapsody was is Rami uh, Malik. So I wanted to throw those two out. Also, supporting actress uh, Rachel Weiss for The Favorite. So she was the winner of that. So I just wanted to throw that out with the very last one being the leading actress. Um, Olivia Coleman for the favorite. So the favorite took home um, quite a few BAFTA awards. So it's going to be interesting to see. I believe next weekend uh, when the um, the Oscars, the Academy Awards, come around, who's going to take home the Oscar uh, for best actor, best actress, and best supporting actor and actress? As well as hair and makeup. Design and hair and makeup. So it's going to be interesting to see. So we'll bring you guys. Uh, those winners probably in two weeks because um, as we're doing the show, those actual um, those actual awards will be uh, announced during that time. And actually, that'll probably be our, our red carpet review show uh, yes. next week. Mm-hmm. All right, so just quickly, <clears throat> I just wanted to say uh, – Thank you to Marietta Carter-Narcisse, who was on last week, um, talking about her class. And she also um, had a couple of friends to call in, Kimberly, Michelle, and Mamie. They all called in and and gave their take on the show and what they learned and what they got from, not the show, but the class, and what they got from the class. So I thank them for uh, calling in and participating as well. Mamie, however, is a script supervisor, and she was on last week, and she really um, had a lot of great things to say about the industry, the business, um, a lot of important things to pay attention to as well. So I just wanted to say, and I know I mentioned this before we got off the air, but I'm still, I still want to work on trying to get Mamie back on the show um, to talk about the relationship between the script supervisor and the makeup artist. Now, the script supervisor on set, you know, works with all departments, hair, makeup, wardrobe, um, props, set dressing, um, you name it. They, they keep the continuity from all of those departments. But I particularly want to talk about makeup, the script supervisor and their relationship with the makeup artist. Um, so 
I'm going to try to see if we can get that show put together in the coming weeks. But I I thought it was a a great show last week and lots of great information to share. Um, Real quickly, I just wanted to bring something to you guys um, from the Professional Beauty Association, PBA. We've mentioned this briefly before, um, but I just wanted to give you some detailed information on it. We were talking briefly about supporting the Small Business Tax uh, Fairness and Compliance Simplification Act, and that's H.R. 6736. The Small Business Tax Fairness and Compliance Simplification Act, known commonly in the beauty industry as the FICA Tax Tip Fairness Legislation, would extend the current 45B FICA Tax Tip Credit to salon and spa owners. It was formerly a, um, a credit granted to restaurant owners in 1993 uh, while providing equality and increased compliance for America's small businesses um, in the salon and spa industry. Like the restaurant industry, salon and spa professionals receive a significant amount of their income through tips, which by law must be reported as income. Salon and spa owners do not receive any of this tip income yet are required to pay taxes on it. Beauty industry employers are responsible for paying 7.65% FICA, which is your Social Security and Medicare taxes, on all employee income, including customer-paid tips. You know they're not happy about that. Um, (laughs) While the restaurant and salon and spa industries share tip reporting burdens, salon owners continue to shoulder the added burden of paying FICA tax on the tip income of their employees. Along with the ensuing tax um, fairness, the FICA credit could help offset administrative costs associated with ensuing employees' compliance on reporting tips and allow business owners to reinvest in the business and employees. Although non-employer salons compromise 92% of establishments, their reported sales represent only 49% of total salon industry revenues, implying a significant underreporting, which I knew that was going to be the case, um, underreporting of income in the non-employer segment. H.R. 6736 also includes two provisions which may reveal a valuable new source of tax revenues for the federal government by, one, allowing an employer tip reporting safe harbor from an IRS tip audit if the employer establishes an educational program for new employees regarding the proper reporting of tip income, establishes a procedure for employee tip reporting, and complies with all rules and employee records relating to tipping are maintained for at least four years. Two, Simplify and coordinate efforts regarding information reporting on income between rental space owners and renters providing professional beauty services. Um, the Small Business Tax Fairness and Compliance Simplification Act is the professional beauty industry's opportunity to gain tax fairness through a dollar-for-dollar tip tax credit on all FICA taxes on employees' tips. Um, if you need um, for more information, or if you have questions um, in regards to this, you can contact PBA's Government Affairs team at 1-800-468-2274, extension 3451. That number, again, for PBA's Government Affairs team is one 800 
468-2274, extension 3451. And we'll be right back right after this. Beauty Talk Radio, hosted by your favorite twin celebrity makeup artist, Janice and Denise Tunnell, is celebrating 10 years, and we simply want to say thank you to all of our guests, our sponsors, and supporters who have taken the journey with us. Because of your support, we've been able to bring you conversations, beauty and skincare tips from the industry's finest, and so many more. Sam Fine, Australian makeup artist Ray Morris, James Vincent, V. Neal, Nigeria's own Lola Maja, Kevin James Bennett, Rocky Cosetti, Marietta Carter Narcisse, Tim Bucharin, Mickey Taylor, formerly of Essence Magazine, A.J. Crimson, Michael Develis, Suzanne Patterson, Larry Sims, Denisa Myricks, Melissa Street, Michael Key of Makeup Artist Magazine, Camille Friend Rochard, Naja Riquette, Bernadette Thompson, and so many more. We're celebrating 10 years, and we're so excited about what's to come for Beauty Talk Radio. Millions listen live and via iTunes downloads from around the world. So we have to say thank you to our listeners in the U.S., of course, the U.K., Australia, Ghana, Russia, South Africa, Uganda. Brazil, South Korea, Ireland, Canada, Sweden, the Bahamas, and so many other parts of the world. Are you following us on social media? We're on Instagram at beauty underscore talk underscore media. We're also on Twitter at beauty underscore talk. And we can't forget about Facebook, beauty talk online. We're celebrating 10 years. We're excited about where we're going, and we know you are too. All right, we are back. We are back, and we have a couple topics that we want to um, speak about tonight. Uh, Denise, did you want to start off? Sure, I'll start off. Um, the first topic I wanted to uh, talk about was um, there was an ad that I saw in a store. For those of you outside of the U.S., it's a store called Target. Um, you know, it's a, just a retail establishment. Um, of course, that you know, that sells a little bit of everything, you know, clothes, uh, electronics, food, uh, cosmetics, things like that. And so I was walking by the um, the beauty section of the store, and there was an ad for um, Shea Moisture. You know, Shea Moisture, they do have a cosmetics line out, but mostly um, hair products, body products. And so there was an ad for Shea Moisture kind of like on the end cap of an aisle. And um, it was there was a significant sized photo um, of this ad, and there was a, a beautiful brown girl. I'll just put it that way, a beautiful brown girl in the photo, and um and, you know, she had a, a beautiful smile on her face, and it was just that and the name of the product. And nothing about it out of the ordinary except for the fact that the girl had um, a crooked tooth. And so I looked at the picture again, and, and I had to, like, really examine it, like, is this what I'm seeing? She had a gap, and of course, um, it, 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 she had a gap. She had the one tooth that that um, 
that seemed to appear to be really straight was was kind of like turned in a little bit. But then there was one tooth that kind of that was crooked, but it, it was literally like coming out of her mouth, if that makes sense, if I'm, if I'm explaining it correctly. And so I looked at the photo and I thought, maybe Shea Moisture is trying to send the message that you don't necessarily have to be perfect to be beautiful. And I thought, that's a beautiful message. That's a great message. Mm-hmm. The only thing was, it didn't allow me to focus on the product. Mm-hmm. Because I was more focused on her teeth. I'll just be totally honest. I was so focused on her teeth and trying to figure out why they chose to use that model or to use that photo of that model in this in this particular ad. And so whether or not I focused on the product or not, whether that was, you know, what they were trying to say, I'm not sure. But I do believe, because now when you think about the, um, the runways and, and you think about, you know, you don't just have really slim, skinny girls on the runway. You have full-figured women on the runway. You have rem- women who have vitiligo on the runway. Uh, you have women who have a face full of beautiful freckles on the runway. So we all look so different, but it's all so very beautiful, especially if you embrace what you may think is a flaw, because that's the thing. Sometimes we can think little things about ourselves are flaws, but someone else may see it as being beautiful. But whether or not they see it as being beautiful or not, it's so very important for you to accept who you are and exactly how you are. And if there's something about what you look like as far as if you think if you think you're you're you know, you weigh too much or if you you know, something like that, or if you think that you don't weigh enough, then mm-hmm. there's space for you to improve. Then there are things that you can do to change that for yourself. Um, even if you have crooked teeth and you don't like that. If you can afford it, get braces, get Invisalign. Um, but, you know, so there, so there are things about yourself that you can change if you needed to. But if you don't want to change them and can't afford to change them, my suggestion is to embrace them. And that's not necessarily an easy thing. It's right. not necessarily an easy thing for most people to embrace what they look like and you know because most people aren't aren't happy with the little things that they think are flaws but if you get to that point of embracing those things and you're you know and and your confidence shows that's very beautiful i think confidence is very beautiful so just i just wanted to say that and kind of touch on that a little bit i i was shocked to see that in an ad, I'll be honest, I was. But then after thinking about it and thinking maybe this is what they were trying to convey, then, you know, it made sense to me. But basically mm-hmm. I, that brings me to um, something that we're working on and we're, we're trying um, so hard to uh, get so many people involved 
in our definition of beauty campaign, where we're trying to inspire women and young girls all over the world. So if that's something that you're interested in doing, we're reaching out to all of you um, via social media, via this show, and asking for you to basically give us your definition of beauty. Like, what's your definition of beauty? What's beautiful to you? So if we're asking you to email that to beautygirlsmedia at gmail.com. Again, that's beautygirlsmedia at gmail.com. And email your definition of, of, of beauty along with a photo if you're comfortable with that. If you're not comfortable with sending in a photo, then just sending in your response to that question is all that we need. Again, the question is, what's your definition of beauty? So if you can send that in a photo if you're comfortable to beautygirlsmedia at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. We would greatly appreciate that. We have some big plans for all of that um, coming soon via social media. And I just wanted to add, um, just going back to the, the Target ad, um, it's funny that you even brought that up because I, too, was in Target, and I walked past. And, of course, you know, when you see an ad of a beautiful brown girl, I don't know about anybody else, any other brown girl, but I'm going to stop, you right. know, because I'm like, oh, wow, she's beautiful. You know, that's pretty. But the first thing I saw is that tooth. And for somebody who, and I'm speaking of myself, who um, struggle with, you know, wanting to have my teeth as straight as they can be, and um, you know, it was you know wanted to do something about any tooth that was not straight. You know what I mean? Like I, I see mm-hmm. a lot of people who are good and grown, and and teeth are not straight, and for whatever the reasons you know, they're they're just living with crooked teeth. And and they're either happy with it or not just gonna do anything about it, whether they're happy or not. Well for myself, to me, I wasn't gonna be satisfied until I did something about it. So for me, I pay attention to teeth. And when I walked past and I stopped and I saw the ad, I was like, Oh, she's pretty then I was like Am I seeing what I'm seeing? And not to and not to go on and on and on and on about it, but I I too had the same reaction that you had and it made me stop and wonder, you know, why would they put that's the first thing that came to my mind honestly is why would they put her in this ad with her teeth like that? I was like, Well at least they could have just had her maybe not smiling or not showing so much teeth you know, so much of her teeth so that you couldn't see it. And then I thought, just like you said, Maybe they're, you know, they want to show that, you know, beauty comes in many ways and it's not about, you know, your teeth. Right. So, you know, I don't know what it was for them. We can't speak for them. And I don't know what it is for her. Can't speak for the model. Um, but, uh, but honestly, in that ad, she looks very confident. And so she's, she's probably... Um, okay with her tooth the way it is. I, I, I can just only assume that, but 
she seemed and appeared to be very confident in that photo. So again, like you said, beauty comes in many ways, and it's not about your outward appearance. Not right. to me. Beauty, beauty is not about your outward appearance. Um, so again, like and like you said, beauty is confidence. That's you know that's one of your definitions. That's one of my definitions. And she seemed again, she seemed to be very confident. So just you know, adding my two cents to that um, is a beautiful ad. She's a beautiful model, um, and it's not about it's not about her teeth. Um, but like I said, we've been saying here on the show um, for several weeks now. Uh, we've been talking about the campaign, and we're trying to um, pull it together. We're just we're just collecting responses right now, but we're we're getting ready to soon start rolling um, some things out. So again. Just putting it out there for those of you who are listening all over the world. This is open to um, men and women, boys and girls all over the world uh, to participate in. You know, what's your definition of beauty? Um, You know, plain and simple, beauty to me is confidence. That's my definition that I'll share for tonight. Beauty to me is confidence. And that's all all you have to do is uh, respond to that question by saying beauty to me is. And like you said, you can email it to us again at Beauty Girls Media. That's B E A U T Y G I R L S M E D I A at Gmail dot com. And again, it's open to anyone around the world. We'd like to hear from some of you guys, you know, in London and in Lagos and you know, in North Africa and South Africa you know, in Japan, all over the world, the Bahamas, wherever you are, Los Angeles, New York, the DMV area, doesn't matter. We would love to hear from you, um, and we would love to hear your responses because we are getting ready to soon roll this campaign out, and we want you to be a part of it. I wanted to bring up a subject tonight um and we t- and you and I talk about this all the time and we've talked about this um several times you know here on the show but we kind of talked about it more so um about well and I'm talking about um makeup for women of color um more so about products um product options and you know we've talked about why we created illusions cosmetics at that time we were looking for more options for our actors, for actors of color. And we created the line. Um, You've heard people talk about the options that are available right now. You know, when Fenty Beauty came out uh, with with its, you know, 40 foundation shades. Um, And, of course, the darker ones sold out first and stayed sold out for a long time. I don't think they were even expecting the response to be what it was. And it's still a very popular brand. Um, You know, MAC Cosmetics hold its own for when it comes to options for women of color. Um, Mm -hmm. There are several lines. You know, you have some of your more indie brands like your AJ Crimson, your Danessa Myricks, our brand, Illusions Cosmetics. Um, You have... You still have companies that's been around for years, like Black Opal. Um, of course, Fashion Fair was 
like a back-in-the-day option. Um, so there are brands out there currently today, and there were some brands out there um, some years ago. But I was reading a um, an article from last year that I just came across, and I was reading it, and I thought maybe – thought that it was something good to talk about because um, basically it talks about black makeup brands that's been around for over 100 years. And, and when you think about it, you don't think that some of these brands are that old. Like I didn't think that fashion fair was a hundred years old. Right. You know, or just Lori Roberts or what have you. But I came across something in the article that I myself did not know um, of this company. The first business person to successfully tap into the cosmetics um, brand world for um, black women in particular was not a black woman. It was a black man, and his name uh, was Anthony Overton. Um, He was a lawyer who had a chemistry degree. He opened the Overton Hygienic Manufacturing Company in Kansas, get this, in 1898. The business initially sold baking powder and other drugs to drug and grocery stores. But Overton recognized that women of color lacked cosmetics that came in their skin tones. Did you hear the, the year I said, 1898? <laughs> yeah. The, the observation prompted his historic foray into makeup. Okay, so this is a chemist who, uh, no, I'm sorry, an attorney who had a chemistry degree. Um, Tim San, Samuelson, Chicago's official a cultural historian points out that access proved to be the major reason black women couldn't get the makeup they wanted. Um, now, I think that now that he said that, I think that makes a great point. You know, listening to that makes me think that the options were there. They just didn't have access to them. Right. That's a, that's a very interesting point. Um like not, uh, not having access because they weren't in your area and also not having access because you couldn't afford it. Exactly. Because um, what I was going to say was Overton um, created this high brown face powder, and it was a hit with women of color in the early 1900s. Um, so they used this powder in the early 1900s. It was called Overton's High Brown Face Powder. It was like in one of these box packaging, um, you know, the top and bottom, and then the powder actually sat in the bottom. And um, it's actually on display at the National Museum of American History. I don't know if it's at the African American um, Museum, but it's on display at the National Museum of American History, this this actual uh, face powder, highbrow face powder that Overton created. Um, large department stores um, 
Tim Samuelson says that large department stores are not going to stock for people of color. You may have to rely on a small network of companies and mail order. So Overton developed a network of salespeople who got out and visit small stores with samples, and also you could send um, for it by mail. Let me ask you, now this is back in the early 1900s, um, and he's being Samuel, uh, not Samuelson, but Overton is being told by Samuelson that, you know, large department stores are not going to um, stock your product. Coming up with a, 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 um, a team of salespeople to go out and visit the smaller stores to see if they would stock it, as well as, you know, um, sending out samples via mail or what have you. Do you feel like some of the smaller indie brands, and you can use our brand as an example, do you feel like some of the smaller indie brands have to find alternative ways to, um, to, to, to survive in this culture of beauty brands today? Yes, of course, definitely. That's the only way they're going to make it. They have, to, especially now with social media being huge. It's it's one of the best ways to market your brand, whether you're selling through social media or not. It's it's the best way to bring um, um, to bring attention uh, to your products, um, and then more importantly, it's like hitting the. Um, like the trade show market, going to different trade shows, being visible, um, you know, selling at trade shows. Even if you don't hardly sell anything, it's, it's making people aware of who you are. Because sometimes I think we have small businesses, which to me are, I don't even consider them to be small businesses. I always say that they're tiny businesses. And we have to scream the loudest to get people to notice us. But the thing is, people are noticing us. And, and and they're noticing that some of the smaller businesses are actually selling products, making money. It, you know, it, it's possible to be successful. You just have to work at it, and you just have to probably work a little harder at it. But I think some of the bigger brands are taking notice. They're taking notice, and they're trying to, uh, you know, jump in. On, because if you think about it, Think about it when some years back when you you really the influencer wasn't really the influencer that they are that that we have now. They weren't the influencers that we see now. I think back to when um, the Queen of Blending. And this is going to sound old, but I think about when the Queen of Blending was on MySpace and the following that she had. And then when everybody started using Facebook and Instagram and things like that, and then especially when, uh, not Facebook and Instagram, but Facebook and Twitter, but especially when Instagram came along, you know, a lot of bigger brands, they loved Queen of Blending and they loved the audience that she brought with her. So you would see her at a lot of the trade shows demonstrating for different brands. And that was great. But she was all, she all, you would see, and see the thing is, is it wasn't a big YouTube community back during the MySpace days. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. people were into like photos. There were some video things going on, but it was mostly about photos. And so now people are able to have, um, 
Instagram pages, um, back when, you know, a lot of video was running through Twitter and things like that, you can still have your large followings. Um, but, but again, you know, brands were like pulling these people to like demonstrate for them and, and, you know, in their audience, they were captivated by the, the, I guess the personality of, 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 of like queen of blending. Then you had people like Candy Johnson to come along. Now you have people that you really don't even know who they are or where they came from, but they're doing YouTube videos and things like that. They have huge audiences, but the bigger brands are jumping, you know, are jumping on board and using these people to, to hopefully try to sell their products. Whereas before it was, I, I think earlier I said bigger brands, but I didn't mean bigger brands. I meant um, sort of like the smaller indie brands, like your OCCs. Um, at the time, Lime Crime, when they first came around, those brands were using people like Queen of Blending to, to, you know, at the trade shows to kind of uh, demonstrate their products and things like that. Um, now your bigger brands are using influencers, all of them, you know, um, um, gosh, I mean, of course, all the big brands out there, and I can't think of one. Um, but, you know, you think about it. You have your NARS. You have um, Smashbox. You have uh, Lancome. And you have all of these people. They're using uh, influencers now or to, to sell their product. And the thing is, these brands are already in department stores selling. They've been there for years. You know what I mean? Uh, maybe not, maybe mm-hmm. not your, your NARS and your, and your Smashboxes, but brands like Lancome have been around for years. But these brands are in your department stores. They can afford to be in Sephora. And I say that because you had a lot of brands who have come along who've, who've gotten their products into Sephora and just couldn't keep up and just couldn't make it. For example, your OCC. But you have your larger brands now who I feel like they almost have to use influencers to get to get the attention back on them because you have your little, you know, you have your your indie brands and your smaller brands that are out there that are doing well and, and are becoming successful. And the thing is, they're not trying to play in your backyard. They're not trying to play in the backyard of Lancome and all these other places. They have their own yard. And they're all playing in their own yard. And things are working. So that's why you see now a lot of the bigger brands using influencers to kind of bring those customers back back their way. Mm-hmm. That's why everybody's inclusive now. Um, you know, everybody wants to have colors for all skin tones now. If that's not your thing, if that's not your specialty, if that's not your target market, don't do it because the woman of color is not stupid. Right. You know, women of color know which brands didn't have their color. They know which brands did have their color from the beginning, you know, and, and then you, you have a lot of bloggers out there who are women of color who are going to a lot of these bigger brands who didn't have their shades but now that they've released all these extensions to their brands and to their colors, these bloggers are, you know, going around trying out these, trying out this makeup. But just think, they're just they're doing it for their blogs. 
They're doing it because they pro- probably got something for free to try out, you mm-hmm. know, in return for a blog post. Women aren't stupid. Women of color are not stupid. We know who's been there from the beginning of time, who had us in mind, who still have us in mind. And that's why as a woman of color, we need to be looking at those brands. You know, you have Fashion Fair that's been around forever. And if there's something about Fashion Fair as a woman of color that you don't like, guess what? Let them know. Mm -hmm. Let them know so that they can change it, so that they can sell to you what you want them to. Let them know. They've been there, and they've been there with you in mind, so let them know so they can cater to you specifically. I'm not saying don't buy from brands who are just coming out. with the, reason, the only reason why I'm not checking for those brands that are just coming out with all these extra colors and all this kind of stuff is because I know you're doing it because you know women of color will spend the money to buy it. My thing is it may not necessarily be right. Look at um, Black Up Cosmetics. They're no longer in Sephora, or at least in my Sephora. <laughs> They're no longer in Sephora. The one issue I had with Black Up Cosmetics, you could never get the colors right or even close to being right. And so there's always something with these lines that have all of these, you know, 35, 40 colors. To me, that is just so not necessary. It's so not necessary. Check out a line like Bobby Brown Cosmetics. Bobby Brown Cosmetics got it right from the very beginning. From the very beginning, I freelanced with Bobby Brown Cosmetics for at least five years. Bobby Brown got it right from the beginning. Now, Bobby Brown has, they have uh, color extensions now, but that was only a result of in, in trainings, in training sessions, you know, uh, some of the senior artists asking, what do you want to see in the brand? And, you know, some people said, well, I would like to see a color that's in between, you know, golden and almond, you know. So then you get your 6.5. Okay. So, you know, so it's, it's, it's the working artists who are working for Bobby, you know, in the stores, meeting people every day, doing makeups every day. It's those artists who are saying, I want to see this. I want to see that. Because in that way, I don't have to try to sell this one woman two different colors, one for the summer, one for the winter. I could just sell her one color and hope that, you know, that'll get her coming back because now she's not spending $60. She's only spending 30 So that when her, her color actually changes, then she can buy this other color that's perfect for this time of the year. You know, so that's, that's the only reason why Bobby Brown uh, has those color extensions. It's not because there was anything wrong with the colors she had. Every woman who walked into a department store, to a Neiman's or to a Nordstrom, you could find her color in that line. And I know that to be fact because I've I've worked with some of the lightest of of women of color, um, plenty of Caucasian women, and to some of the darkest of women of color. I've worked with them at that line, at Bobby Brown Cosmetics. Her colors work. They always have. But you don't have too many brands like that out there. But the ones that we do have and the ones that have been around, we should be supporting them. We should have been supporting them. There's no reason why, 
and Interface Cosmetics should not still be around. Yes. There's no reason why. That was one of the best minds for women of color. One of the yes, best minds. Foundations. foundations were great. There's a reason why some of the best makeup artists out here today still use black opal cosmetics. Mm-hmm. They might not they may not let you know what they're using. Maybe their cream foundations are all in the palette, but trust me, some of the best makeup artists to this day are still using black opal cosmetics. Ask Sam Fine. Mm-hmm. Yep, you're right. You are right. You are so right. Yeah, and, and there's and there's a lot of them out there. Um, we're not going to hold you guys too long because we're going to uh, jump off a few minutes early tonight. But you know, there was Flory Roberts um, that was out there, and I never really heard over the years. I've never really heard anything. Um, I've never really heard anybody say anything about um, like the foundation colors for Flory Roberts. You know, I know you, for years you've heard people say that that um, Fashion Fair is a little too orange that kind of thing, but I've never heard anything like that for Flory Roberts. Um, right. So, I, you know, I can do a little bit more research and just really... Um, now, Flory Roberts was made for women of color, but Flory Roberts was not owned by a person of color. Right. Right. And that's and that's uh, and that's um, and though that's interesting conversation there, um, because that's the same thing with black up cosmetics. So, you know, and I'm yes. sure that there's other brands out there who are who say they are made for women of color because people do recognize that women of color, particularly black women, that I'm talking about right now, um, that black women will buy makeup. They spend the dollars. You don't believe me? Go to Africa. You don't believe me? Ask all those major cosmetic brands that are trying to get into Africa now. Yes, black women. Yeah, black women spend the money on makeup. So a lot of times these companies, whether they're white-owned or owned by somebody else other than a black person, they see the need, and they know that we will spend. So therefore, they will create what we want. Mm-hmm. Again, you can go back, and like I said, that's a conversation for another time, but you can go back and see the companies, the major companies years ago that said, we don't create colors uh, darker colors for darker skin tones because that's not who we're marketing to. All fine and good. Right. right now, in 2018 and 2019, everybody wants to be inclusive. Right. So, you know, that's a whole other conversation, but I'm, I'm sticking with um, just, I just wanted to share that information about a black man creating a cosmetics um product for women of color and he went on he moved his 
he moved his company from Kansas that he started in 1898. He moved it from Kansas um, in 1911 to um, Chicago. And while he, when he moved to Chicago, his employee base grew to like 400 people. So now he's got 400 people uh, going out door to door demonstrating samples, what have you, 400 salespeople. And uh, he started to make eyeshadows and um, I think like face creams, they said. But again, his package is on display at the um, American Museum of History. So nice. just wanted to share that about um, him, you know, little known Black History Month fact in beauty. All right. So. Right. But, you know, I'll share some more of those, you know, when I come across them, just to share so we'll know um, what's been out there. It's just, like you said, there was no access, um, not in your city. Like I said, he everything was in Kansas, and his, his sales team was going door-to-door in Kansas. Then he moved to Chicago, and they're going door-to-door just in Chicago. So, you know, um, it takes a while to grow a brand. And and part of that is the marketing, like you were talking about, and social media. So, And let me just say this really quickly before we hop off, but this is a part of, you know, how um, I always say study your craft. If people always ask, what advice would you give to, to young artists, you know, coming up or whatever? And I always say study your craft. This is a part of studying your craft. If you want to have your own brand, this is the kind of uh, research you should be doing or should be stumbling upon. Um even if you're just a makeup artist, this, if you just want to be just a makeup artist and not have a brand, it's this kind of uh, information that you need to find out. Because think about it. You know, you said it was, he started this in 1898, you said? Mm-hmm. And I think he was born in 1865. You know, he was born in Monroe, Louisiana. And then he ended up in, uh, I'm sorry? Kansas. No, so I said about yeah, maybe then, 20 years. Yeah, and then he, you know, ended up in Kansas and then and then uh, Chicago. Um, but the thing about it is thinking about the dates that he mentioned, uh, that we mentioned of when this started, 1898, okay, in Kansas. So think about if you were working in film and TV and – you had, um, and you know, and, and it was a period piece that you're working on. And let's say it took place in Kansas, and let's say it took place in, okay, he started this in 1898. Let's say this took place in um, 1902, 1903, okay, um, during the time when some of our grandparents were born, you know, um, or great-grandparents were born, Um we can't assume as makeup artists that when we're doing a period piece that these women, these black women didn't have access to makeup in Kansas, mm-hmm. in Kansas City. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, when you know this information like this, then you can say, yes, there was a brand around. You know what I'm saying? So in the movie, if, I'm, if it's a woman who um, uh, her social status was a little higher than maybe a woman across town or something, yes, then we can say that she, she wore makeup. That we could, you know what I mean? So then what you're doing is more accurate. When you have the knowledge and you know, you can be more accurate 
when you're designing your makeup look. So that's why I'm saying mm-hmm. study your craft. Because this little information I didn't know, but now I know. And I'll carry this information with me forever as a makeup artist. Right. Absolutely. 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 Well, with that being said, that is our time for tonight. Thank you guys for tuning in. Again, we'll be back next week with our red carpet review of our of the makeup and hair and wardrobe looks of um, some of our beauty, uh, some of our favorite Hollywood um, starlets. And um, again, I'm trying to um, produce a show for you guys uh, with a script supervisor for those of you who are interested in film and television. <coughs> Excuse me. Piggybacking on last week's um, interview uh, with Marietta Carter Narcisse and some of her friends. Um, we want to talk about the relationship between the script supervisor and the makeup artist. And uh, so we're going to try to get that pulled together very soon. But again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for uh, joining us tonight. Tell them quickly where they can follow us. You can follow us on Facebook. We're Beauty Talk Online Radio. You can follow us on Instagram. We are beauty underscore talk underscore media. And you can follow us on Twitter. We are beauty underscore talk. And then you can follow Janice and I both on all uh, social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, just by our names. I'm Denise Tunnell. That's D-E-N-I-S-E. T-U-N-N-E-L-L. Then Janice, she is J-A-N-I-C-E, T-U-N-N-E-L-L. All right. Thank you guys again very much for tuning in. Um, Thank you for your continued support. Again, we'll be back next Sunday night, and we'll do it all over again. Until then, have a wonderful, wonderful evening, and have a beauty... Have a beautiful, <laughs> have a beautiful and blessed week. Good night, everybody. Good night. How would you like to become friends with benefits? I'm sure that got your attention. I'm talking about FriendsBeauty.com, now offering a benefits discount program to all of our friends. That's right. Professionals that qualify can save up to 40% and non-professional consumers up to 10% just for setting up a free account online. At Friends Beauty, we offer a huge range of products, including beauty makeup, special FX and theatrical makeup, skin care, wigs and extensions, styling tools, and more with thousands of brands at the best prices. We've been in business since 1940 and pride ourselves on ensuring our friends have the best shopping experience ever. Sign up for our Friends Discount Program and shop with us today at Friends, that's F-R-E-N-D-S, no I, beauty.com. Friendsbeauty.com. We also offer studio services for production orders at 818 691 1294. That's 818-691-1294. Join our program and become a friend with benefits today.